The reading is from Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 to 14, and then from chapter 11, verse 36. So beginning at Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from the Ufaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, he said. Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling, and he continued. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And now down to verse 36 of chapter 11. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, and nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honour a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his ancestors, he will honour with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god, and will greatly honour those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people, and will distribute the land at a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape, 
You will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Chapter 12. And at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Oh, brilliant. Well done uh, for keeping up with that long reading. Those of you who are younger, you might have activities in another room. Now would be a good time to head off if you're going to do that. Have a great time and we'll see you at the end as we come back together uh, for our final hymn. If you're staying and you've got a Bible uh, nearby, it would be great to have that open at these chapters we're going to look at this morning. Now, when you're, when you're growing up, learning to trust can be a tricky thing. You remember what it was like sitting at the dinner table when you're younger uh, and being told, if you want to be healthy, you've got to eat your vegetables, trust me. Or, or the medicine tastes yucky, but it really will make you feel better, trust me. I mean, it's hard to trust someone you're not persuaded by. Uh, the, the author Mark Twain uh, once wrote, when I was 14 years old, I thought my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. And by the time I was 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. Who do you trust? And how does it show itself? And if you call yourself a Christian, do you trust God? And, and what would that mean? If you're, if you're not a Christian... What do you think it would take for you to trust God? And we've been reading Daniel on Sunday mornings, and in some ways it's about wanting to persuade us that God is trustworthy. If our, if our parents were, were good and trustworthy, we had years of them consistently giving us yucky medicine and vegetables. Maybe, maybe you wanted to run away, maybe you called them mean, but we couldn't get away. And through their kind discipline, we, we learned, I guess, to trust them. What about God? When he speaks to you about, about how to live your life, about relationships, about forgiveness, about church. Maybe you want to run away and call him mean. Maybe not literally, but inside you, you find yourself beginning to say no to him. How do you grow? How do you grow to the point where you, you trust that he's got the information, that he knows how things work, that he's got the character, like like the good parent who's committed to your good. So that even when you're not sure what's going on, you're persuaded in, in a world of risk 
that trusting God really is the wise move. In some ways, that's the conviction that the book of Daniel begins with. Do you remember way back at the beginning, we, we met Daniel. He was an exile in Babylon, but good looking and with talent. And he, he finds himself on the equivalent of a kind of graduate training program. And yet even with that, he tells us that he resolved, chapter 1, verse 8, to trust God first, to put him first, to trust God. And it didn't always go easy with him when he did that. It landed him in trouble, in danger at times. And yet even with all of that, the kind of, with the feel of the book of Daniel remains trusting God. It really is the wise move. Even when it feels yucky at times, even when you're tempted to think that God might be mean. And now we've come near the end. Daniel's got one more vision and it, it covers these three final chapters. You, you'll see there's, there's loads in it. What I want to try and do this morning is kind of give us the, if you like, the, the, the thought flow of these chapters. And then land is in at the beginning of chapter 12. And next week, Steve is going to finish things off for us. But this morning, we're going to see why trusting God matters. Daniel's given a final vision and we're told, verse 1, its message was true and it concerned a great war. Chapter 10, verse 5, there's a, an angelic visitor, an angelic messenger, and he's, I mean, he's terrifying, really. A little bit later, in chapter 10, verse 13, he'll, he'll mention another angelic warrior, Michael. Then, in chapter 11, it's all military conflict. Daniel's repeatedly told us, if you've been with us in previous weeks, that human history will often shape up that way. There'll be empires and wars. You can read uh, chapter 11 a little bit later. It's all attack and, and counterattack. But then partway through chapter 11, there's a real nasty piece of work who comes on the scene and he will gain power and inflict all sorts of trouble, particularly on God's people. In chapter 11, verse 31, if you've if you can find that there in front of you, we're, we're told this. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. You understand about this guy. He's, he's not con content with just defeating God's people. No, he's, his intent is, is wiping out the religion. Now, this guy is probably the one who was mentioned in, in chapter 8 a couple of weeks back. And... He actually did arrive on the scene around 169 BC, and when he got to Jerusalem, it was a bloodbath. It was terrible. But in some ways in these chapters, he, he really functions as a, as a foreshadow of something worse to come towards the end of history. Uh, that's chapter 11, verse 36. Do you see that? Uh, we meet another ruler, a, a final one, if you like, and we're told he will exalt himself above every god. And we'll say unheard of things against the God of gods. You get the picture? Towards the end, we're being told it will look like God's people are on the edge of being wiped out. But, but when things seem at their darkest, well, that's chapter 11, verse 45. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Gone. Dealt with. That's the... The snapshot of the future in these chapters, short term, God's people will face trouble. Towards the end, it will look really bad. 
But just when you think it's all over for them, God will step in and deal with things finally. Now, you might hear all of that and think, well, look, that's, I mean, that's a bit far-fetched. That's conspiracy theory stuff. It's a bit sensational, isn't it? But no, I think last year, a report commissioned by the then Home Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, said this, persecution of Christians in parts of the world is at near genocide levels. And then a year or so before that, the former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, said of the 2016 Easter suicide bombings in Lahore, they were part of a pattern in which Christians have been terrorised across an ever-widening swathe of countries around the world. Look, it it would be crazy to suggest that being a Christian in England is that risky. But around the world... Daniel's vision of the future is not that, it's not actually that sensational. So hear what this book is saying. If you are one of God's people, it's saying that know that if if trouble comes to you on the big scale or even on the small scale, God knows about it. It's not caught him by surprise. And he continues to work out his good plans. And you can keep trusting him. But keep that in mind. Get that idea in your mind, but, but let me show you now something else here. Let me show you the tone of these chapters, because I think they want to convey a certain futility. These battles that take place on the world stage, they don't really achieve much. Did you notice that? Chapter 11, verse 9. Let, let's just have a look at that. Chapter 11, verse 9. The king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat. And that futility, it kind of keeps repeating. Verse 11, but it will be defeated. Verse 14, but without success. And you get the point. It's not to diminish the bravery of soldiers, but but sometimes after all these battles are done, you're you're left thinking, what, what was the point? They didn't bring any lasting change, which makes you think, look, I thought these chapters were about a great war. These are pointless wars. Where's the great one? And if you start asking that question, you'll begin to read these chapters in the right way because there is another war and it really is a great one. It'll achieve something final and decisive. And you you get a hint about it when this angel says he's involved in the war. Come back to chapter 10, verse 20. You hear what he says? Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. Here's a war that includes angels. A battle on the human stage. There's also a spiritual war. And that brings us to the beginning of chapter 12. Just come over to that. Here's what we read. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Then verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And you begin to realise the great war in these chapters It isn't the futile manoeuvrings of empires that come and go. No, it's a spiritual battle. 
that will determine the eternal destiny of men and women, boys and girls. Here's what we're being shown. Trusting God matters because there is a great war for your eternal destiny. Don't know what you think about that. Why not let that sink in for a moment? We're going to listen uh, to a song now. It's, it's a song really that's an encouragement to keep trusting God even when things are hard. So let's listen to that and think about these things for a while and then we'll come back and we'll think some more about these chapters. Well, great. Do, uh, do take hold of uh, your Bible again. We've been saying, haven't we, the, these chapters, one of the things they seem to be saying is that trusting God matters because there's a great war for your eternal destiny. Where we'll spend it? I, actually, how we'll spend it? There's different views, isn't there, about what happens to us after we die. Secular atheists, they'll, they'll believe there, there's nothing, that, that people are nothing more than meaningless matter in motion ultimately and and when the motion stops that's the end of everything but that also has a knockback because if there really is no ultimate meaning it is it's hard to know why anything matters really why do you and your loved ones matter where do we get the idea of the dignity of human life now that might be the case but if it is how, how can i know if it's true and then you get the, the Eastern religions, and, and some of them would hold a view that we're bound by karma. That when we die, we pass through multiple reincarnations, and, and what we do in one life determines who we are in the next. And some people like that idea. And at, at one level, it's a genuine attempt to answer the painful question of suffering. Why are some people born disadvantaged, or poor, or really unhealthy from birth? It's slightly simplistic, but, but karma would kind of say it's because they deserve it. It is payment for, for their conduct in a previous life. Now, I'm not sure I like viewing people in that kind of way, but look, what I like in many ways is neither here nor there. And so the question still remains, but how could we know if that's true? And then you come to the Bible and you ask, well, what does the Bible think happens when we die? And, and Daniel here, and the Bible more generally, would say there's going to be a resurrection. That's verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of earth will awake. When this life's over, all people will be raised up. Rich and poor, black and white. Those who've lived a healthy life and those who've suffered terribly. There will be equity on that day. You will be raised up. And at that resurrection, there will be a final and decisive verdict passed on everyone. And it's here you begin to understand Daniel's message. All through the book, we, we've kind of been confronted with the, the chaos of sinful human history. We, we all deserve in some way God's judgment. And yet God keeps showing through the book that he has the desire and, and the power to save. He really does care about people. And he has plans to set up his own kingdom that will be empty of evil and filled only with good. And the invitation of the book seems to be, look, be wise. Be wise. Ask him. Ask him to save you. 
and keep trusting him even when it's hard. In some ways, that's the evidence, if you like, the, the evidence that you've responded to this God. It's that, like Daniel, you begin to live trusting him even when it's hard. And you see what Daniel's saying, that one day everyone will be raised, everyone will be judged. And it's a good thing because it means that at the end of history, the final word will be a word of justice. It's what a world is crying out for. And the Bible says, yes, that's true. It's the right thing to long for. And it's what God's going to give. The, the final word in history will be a final word of, of justice. Evil will not get to slip by. Everyone will be judged. Presidents and prime ministers, company directors and big issue sellers. You and me. And the consequence will be either... Well, chapter, two, chapter 12, verse 2, everlasting life or everlasting contempt. Everlasting life for those who are included in God's saving offer. And understand that on that day, there will be no ambiguity. There will be no kind of, well, I sort of trusted God or I sort of went to church with my parents or went to chapel at school. No, it will be crystal clear. What's true now will be final then in or out. And you think, well, it was a big claim, all this, isn't it? Resurrection and judgment. I, I think I might actually prefer karma. So the same question, how can we know if it's true? Can I trust this God? Is it, is it worth going through the hard times? Teenagers, does it matter steering your life to trust and follow him, whatever the consequences? And those of you who who are busy with work and career and you're wondering, do I have time for God and does it matter? Well, well, God and Daniel seems to have gone to great lengths, done some remarkable things to persuade us, maneuvered kingdoms, rescued people. But even Daniel, along with the rest of the Bible really, is always pointing towards another piece of evidence that's even greater. And the Apostle Paul speaking to a sceptical group of intellectuals in the city of Athens said this, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Just what Daniel's been saying. He will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to everyone. How? How has he done that? By raising Jesus from the dead. See, how can you believe that when we die, God will, people will be raised up to face God's judgment? Well, well, because God's given a preview in history and he's, he's raised someone up in front of eyewitnesses. He's raised Jesus up and he's appointed him as our judge. And, and interesting, this Jesus is also the one through whom God intends to save people. The God we meet in Daniel, he seems to go to great lengths to, to demonstrate that he really can save. You spotted that, the, the fiery furnace, the, the lion's den. Because when you come to Jesus, you realise that's where he shows just how far he was willing to go in order to save people. God in Jesus. Dying on a cross, bearing, bearing the punishment for sin, bearing the punishment for your sin and my sin. God in Jesus, he's the one who, who came and fought the great war so that he could be your saviour. And if that's true, trusting God matters because there's a great war for your eternal destiny. Be wise.
a lot hangs on it. Do you sometimes feel that the Christian life is hard? And Daniel would say, look, it really is, and it might get harder at times. Do you ever find yourself feeling, look, I just feel God's a bit mean with the thing he asked? Daniel would say, he really isn't. He really isn't. Trusting God really matters because it will determine where you you spend eternity. And it's not about what you do. You can't earn this. It's not about the good things you do. No, it's about trusting what God has done in Jesus. You don't want there to be any ambiguity about whether you're trusting God or not. Have you prayed like Daniel? God, I know know I'm someone who's sinned. I live my own way, but I'm persuaded as a as I read about you in the Bible, that you're willing to save me through Jesus, please would you do that? And would you help me to live trusting you? If you've not, you could do that now, sitting, sitting on your sofa at home. Maybe you're on your own, you could pray. Sitting with other people, you could, you could pray quietly to yourself. No one else would, would even hear, but God would. And Christian, have you been growing in your trust of God? You, you won't be a Christian without giving yourself to to trust him. As children, we learn to trust our parents day in, day out, listening to them, doing what they said. If you're doing that with God, you'll find that trust growing, resolving to put God first. Keep going. Trusting God matters. Now, if you've got wee ones off somewhere else doing their own activities, now would be now would be a good time to, to go and get them, ask them to come back through. And in a moment, we're going to sing our, our final hymn together. It's a, it's a famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Verse 4 says these words. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. It's the message of Daniel as well. Whatever hard times we're going through, God will... Go with us and keep us safe till he brings us home. As the music begins, let's stand and sing together. <laughs> 